I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the place for Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, June the 17th. It's, it's so weird that we're like in summer now, technically. I guess, well, schools are over. I guess, I don't know. Is it technically summer? I don't know. But it does not feel like that. I should be um, in John Paul Jones Arena this evening covering NBA Top 100 camp. Uh, and then presumably packing to go to Disney in a couple days. Um, so th- thus is uh, the tragedy of, of, of June for me. But obviously, look, there's, there's, a lot, uh, there's a lot to be excited about coming, f- coming forward, whether you know, we talk about all the things that have kind of disappeared because of coronavirus and COVID and such and such. Some of those we're going to talk about tonight. We have not talked much at all in recent weeks about football season, how close we're getting to it, if it would happen, how it looks. Um, so we are going to do that this evening. And also at the end, we're going to touch on the, um, series we, we mentioned last week and we, we started running out, um, that film room, um, that Ferber's doing, which shouts to him. Um, and the amount of work that this kid is putting in for this thing is unreal. I, I legitimately, I'm, I'm blown away by it every time he sends me some stuff. I, I think the one for the quarterback thing, what did you say? 27, 27 gifts in that thing. I, I'm, I'm, I just hope we don't break rivals and given our track record for technology, who knows? Uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and do, do, introduce everybody. First up in Fishersville, I'm assuming he's in Fishersville. David Spence is back on the program. How's it going, dude? Yeah, I'm in Fishersville doing, doing well. Um, yeah, businesses open the fields, people are playing ball. So I'm making some money. Thank God it was a long Long spring. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. And the aforementioned uh, Justin Ferber up in Arlington. Yeah. Nailed it. He's back. How's it going, dude? It's good. Arlington looks like it's about to be underwater here in a second. So we'll we'll just check back in on where I am next week. As long as you you keep internet. (laughs) Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. So far, so good. (laughs) At Justin underscore on Ferber on Twitter. Um, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. All right, so um, I mentioned, you know, we haven't done a lot with uh, preseason football, um, it, 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 at least as in terms of the college model, um, which the NCAA, um, um, what is it, the Oversight Committee uh, finalized last week. The Division One Council approved today. Assuming obviously local and state local and state policies allow for it, uh, basically it, it lays out a blueprint for how things will happen um, from this point forward. Um, I'm just going to kind of read generally from that um, to kind of touch off our discussion here. Uh, let's see. Assuming the first scheduled game is the weekend of the September of September 5th, um, they may be required to participate in up to eight hours of weight training, conditioning, and film review per week from July the 13th through July the 23rd. And then on the 24th through August the 6th, there can be required to participate in up to 20 hours of countable athletic related activities per week. So none, no, no more than four hours per day. Do they get up to eight hours per week to rate training condition up to six for walkthroughs, which can include the use of a football up to six per week for meetings, which may include film review, team meetings, position meetings, one-on-one meetings. And during that two-week period, student-athletes are required to get at least two days off. Um, The model does not make any adjustments to the legislated 29-day preseason practice period. Um, The school's preseason practice period would begin on August the 7th with a five-day acclimation period. So basically, from that point forward is like normal, but it's everything up until then that is different. Um, at least as I read this, this makes a lot of sense to me. Of course, if you're 
somebody who covers UVA or you're, you're a UVA fan, you're still waiting for UVA to say, like, when they're coming back. And I said something last week on the show. I said, hey, I'll be shocked or surprised if we get to next week's show and we don't have an official word, and there still is no official word. Uh, Dave, let's start with you, man. What When you saw this news last week, saw it come down mm-hmm. official today, what are your thoughts on this and how do you feel um, we'll get to we'll get to football in the fall in a second, but just in terms of yeah. this preseason, do you like it? Do you what do you what do you think the pros and cons are from it? I mean, I mean, I think it's fair. I don't know what else you could do differently. Uh, I'm, it's pretty similar to what a normal year would be as far as you know time with with the staff. Once you get there, I think you get a few extra hours with the strength and conditioning coach earlier in the summer normally, um, but film review and all that stuff usually starts around the same time. So. I mean, yeah, it all makes sense. I, mean, I think it's enough time. Yeah, I like the couple of weeks for the players to kind of get up to speed before they get, you know, they're out on the field um, making contact. And I think it's a fair amount of time. It's just like everything else we've talked about with this. I'm sure there's going to be some people who violate the nature of the rules. And, you know, I don't expect that to happen, you know, in most schools, but it'll happen. Um you would assume, although players do have more power now, so maybe they won't let it happen. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems fair. It seems reasonable. You know, I think the bigger issue is, you know, when you can come and, you know, what time you can spend is one thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but, like, the the X's and O's, uh, how that happens with, with the COVID, that's a whole different animal that's going to need a lot more. You know, it's got to be a lot more stuff. And I'm guessing that's going to be released either conference by conference or school by school, how they're going to handle it. But it has to be some kind of uniformity in how, how conferences are going to, you know, handle handle the risk um, that their players are going to – their player staff and, you know, the students around them are going to face from the football players. So we'll see more of that over the next few weeks. And that's that, I think, is going to be a lot more interesting. Yeah. What about you, Ferber? What, do you th- what are your thoughts on this thing? Yeah, I mean, I, it's just – it's hard to nail anything like this down, and I'm sure that's why it took so long, like, knowing that the situation is so fluid. I mean, I know some states are starting to see, like, an uptick in cases. I'm not exactly sure what that means, just because, like, testing isn't, you know, increased and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that my, my big questions were just, like, how does it compare to years prior? You know, like, if you say, like, oh, eight hours or whatever, like, I mean, what is that? How does that compare to what they would normally do? And it seems like a pretty decent compromise, all things considered. And um, like Dave said, I think it's not too big of a departure from what would be happening anyway. The problem is that you're doing it having lost everything that comes before it, right? So, I mean, like no spring practice, no no workouts after that, you know, having people away from each other, you know, any work that they would do on the side has been sort of minimized. So, I mean, you're kind of coming in a little bit colder, so it might take a little bit longer to kind of ramp up. Um, but I think, I mean, as long as everybody's doing what they need to be doing from a testing standpoint and, um, you know, the distancing and everything that they need to do to kind of make it work, I think that it could work or, you know, we're going to have some, a decent enough product when September rolls around. Um, I mean, you see like what happened at Houston the other day or like they had to kind of like stop working out because they had some sort of outbreak on their team. I mean, like. I don't know if that was sort of a self-inflicted wound on their part, like they could have done something better or if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, but you just hope that everybody kind of like follows the, the guidelines as closely as possible and, um, you know, don't overshoot the mark because we're not quite out of the woods yet on it. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing for me. It seemed like to me, 
a couple of these schools, their entry into it was a little bit clunky, right? I mean, you yeah, really like have Houston to... said they didn't test anyone before, like when they showed up or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that seems problematic. And I don't want to mess up levels. the details, but I was like, that seems kind of dumb. Right. I'm sure they had a reason, but <laughs> exactly. But it's that like seems they, they, te- they like these six kids that tested positive were symptomatic, and it's like right. you waited until then. Like it's too late right. then, <laughs> right. you know? Right. Um, it's worth also pointing out too that that today, as we record, UVA also released its um, plan for return to grounds, as as they called it in the press release. Um, so classes will begin uh, August 25th, assuming, um, again, federal and state um, guidelines persist. Um, they will do in-person instruction. Um, they will conclude that by Thanksgiving. Following the holidays, students will not return until after the new year. Um, they're giving kids the option um, if they don't want to return um, to grounds to do everything online. All of the big classes will be online. Um, they'll have a lot of safety measures in place for buildings and, and things like that. They did make mention that they did expect for fall sports to happen. They just did not know the degree to um, what degree fan involvement will be um, associated with those sports. Um, that seems to be the, the one um, pending, you know, unknown of, well, I guess there are a lot of unknowns about the season itself, but it seems pretty, it seems pretty accepted that, that, that football will happen. The question as it, as it is right now is what it exactly looks like. I, I tend to think that the preseason model um, is pretty solid. I mean, if you think about it in the summer, they are allowed to do certain things. Um, this will mean they can do more of those things. Um, you know, Kelly Poping and Jason Beck told us on um, different video calls the last few weeks that they've actually been able to do over zoom. A lot of things that they wouldn't normally be doing now. Now, granted, that that's when they you know in those situations right they would have spring practice which is obviously a huge it's a huge issue that they missed I'm not I'm not going to gloss over that but there they, there was an opportunity for them to maybe do more work now that they normally wouldn't be doing and so now they'll be able to jump that jump off of that into um, you know this preseason work and um, you know I kind of feel like to your points earlier guys about you know the idea of um, you know people mining the rules and not over, um, you know, not, not, not essentially, you know, doing a good job of kind of policing themselves in this day and age, man, if, if they work those kids, anything harder than they're supposed to, it's going to get out. Like now, this is not the time. This is not the environment to try to start pushing some boundaries. Um, I I don't think student athletes (laughs) have had more power, um, maybe ever than they do right now. Um, which is kind of fun to think about in the sense of, um, how long, you know, and, and we, we tend to agree on this, right? The idea that these players are, you know, they're not getting paid um, while coaches and administrators and schools make a lot of money. Now those coaches and administrators and, and schools need these players. And I think the players understand that better than they probably ever have. Um, so in, and then in you're essence, adding on top of the, on top of that part of like a compensation argument, I mean, you're adding on top like a dangerous virus. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're literally um, putting people at risk more so than normal. So, I mean, you know, there has to be some give and a take with that. Yeah. Um, and it has been fascinating to watch college football try to reckon with its, re- you know, basically entry, right? Because, you know, college football was over. As baseball tried to figure out getting its plane off the ground and amid, you know, a whole lot of labor issues and, and compensation problems with owners, while basketball tries to figure out its re-entry, right, because its season had to shut down, um the, the three elements, let's call them, right, the three, the three um, prongs here, 
very different needs, very different situations, very different uh, realities. Um, and it's been fascinating to watch all three sort of work in their own little bubble, no, for lack of a description and no pun intended for the NBA. Um, I, I kind of think that one of the problems that college football is going to run into is that the landscape is just so wide, right? So even if you just think about it in conference by conference, right? Like you're not talking about a group of high schools in the Richmond area. You're not talking about a couple of states. You're talking about the entire East Coast. Um, now you can do a lot to protect your players, but if there's anything we found here, it's that it seems to be that that there is no real universal truth for this thing, right? It, like some states, it hit them early. Some states, it hit them later. Um, the only the only consistency seems to be that there it had, there has been no end of the first wave. That we basically have been in the middle of the first wave, just to varying degrees. Are we as we talk about the season? Dave, you're you're our our coronavirus correspondent. Um, yeah. As you start to think about playing football again, what is your biggest concern as this thing? As we you know, because look, we're in the middle of June. You know, um, and it won't be too long till you know. I mean, Ferber's rolling out this film room thing, but it won't be long till we're talking about counting down to camp. Yeah. Um, you know what? What's your biggest concern moving forward? I mean, my concern is for you know health of the players and, and the staff, obviously, um, you know, for the most part, you know, COVID isn't that deadly for the age group that plays college football, but the coaches and the support staff and the academic advisors and, you know, professors and classmates, you know, extending into, into regular school time. Um, like we haven't gathered in groups like this recently. Like, you know, we're just starting to open up and you know, like there's people getting together, but not in the scale you're talking when you've got a university back in action, right? Or even a football team, um, which, you know, a hundred man roster plus, and then, you know, support staff, coaches, you know, that's a lot, that's people. And they're, you know, we, we know that the virus can really spread when you're performing exercise, like, you know, really exerting yourself and, you know, breathing out harder and everything, sweating and all that stuff. So that's my number one concern is like, you know, what, what kind of transmission rates are we going to see? And what does that mean for, you know, a, you know, a college kid who's, you know, not, not being paid to play the game, you know, I'm not trying to make that argument. <laughs> this is a separate thing, but you know, they, they are a student. Um, so I mean, that's my first concern, but, um, when you get into just the the X's and O's of the game itself and what does it mean for the game with the way this is, like I think as a Virginia fan, you should be pretty comfortable that you've got a staff and a culture that's in place. This is really a bad time to, to be a new coach. Um, I mean, I can't imagine trying to – like a lot of coaches hired into last season. I mean, they got, what, a couple months with their kids before they were sent home for the year. Um They've been developing relationships through Zoom. There's no real culture there. They really didn't get to have spring ball with them. And now they're going to show back up and have like, you know, less than two months to be ready to play ball. And that's, those are the programs I think you're going to, are going to be more, the most, where you're going to hear, hear the most buzz out of. Like, you know, do those coaches push, push a little much because they, you know, they got an expensive contract they're trying to live up to. Um, but there's just just the logistics of it, you know. When, when you start talking about professional leagues and how much work it's taking for them, when they can control a lot more of their surroundings than a college team can, like there, there's a lot to consider, and there's a lot of finances involved. You know, when you start talking testing 
that many kids repeatedly, like that adds up. I mean, I've seen numbers between a million to two million estimate for testing a college football team for the year. Um, when when you're talking about likely cutting fans and cutting revenue that way and already having lost NCAA money, tournament money, um, adding an extra expense on top of it, it's just, you know, it's just a lot. Um, yeah. And with the potential of who knows four weeks into three or four weeks into whatever the season is having an outbreak and having to shut it all down. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of worry. Um, I think we know a little more now than we did before, but we know it because we, we all stepped back and stopped doing our normal things. We still don't know. Yeah. You know, testing is getting a little better. You know, testing is a little more readily available. Um, we're starting to learn a little bit more about the transmission of the virus. Um, but when you're doing, when you're playing a sport where you can't control stuff like that, it's going to be interesting to see. Because the thing for me is that it's not just players, right? So you you, you can walk 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 through this this theoretical situation, right? So I, I imagine that they'll do something where basically they'll give everybody a test, you know, a day or so before the game. Um, I'm they probably should test everybody for antibodies as well, but that's you know that's part of a that's a detail for another day. But then you've also got support staff, right? Like, that's something the NBA is currently grappling with, right? It's like, okay, players, you know, you can test them. You can keep them where they need to be. College football players, they got to be students, too. So even if they took all of their classes online and they're just there to play football, right, they're still going to interact with people on a daily basis, not just teammates, but, you know, team personnel, coaches, randos on the street, you know, like – people at uh, dining facilities, um, people in libraries or whatever. There's a whole lot of unknowns that you just can't account for for college football players that you that the NBA is trying its best to account for, right? Family, friends, how many people on the bench, how many, uh, you know, who wears masks, that kind of thing. Um, there's just a whole lot to this that is going to make it a very sticky wicket. Ferber, what about you? What are you what's, Dave, Dave did a good job, I think, of kind of, covering the ground on the on the concern piece but i, I want to throw that throw it to you too what are, what are your biggest worries about trying to get college football season off the ground i mean honestly my biggest worry is just starting and then having another wave and then having to basically i mean i guess it wouldn't be that different than a lot of other things that were canceled like the college basketball ncaa tournament um sports aren't the most important thing in life so i mean sometimes you just have to sacrifice things and I know people are getting tired of sacrificing things. Um, but I think, you know, that's my biggest fear is like, you know, they push forward, things are, are going well. People kind of, like I said before, like overshoot the mark or get a little bit too confident in like their recovery. And then there's a blowback from that. Right. And then what happens then? I mean, like what happens? I mean, obviously, like I don't get too caught up in like player X tested positive for what do you do if that happens? I think what you do if that happens is he doesn't play, he gets quarantined. Um, it's not that different in some ways than a player getting hurt. I mean, it happens like not everybody always has access to their best players or just any player in general. Um, at the same time, I mean like in the premier league and I know like other European soccer leagues, like this is happening now players test positive. They quarantine, they rejoin when they're no longer, symptomatic or whatever uh, or when they don't test positive so um i think that you can handle but i don't know what you could do if like there's a huge outbreak all over the place and then i guess i guess what i'm saying is like 
not just like one team having an outbreak, but like an entire region of the country having an outbreak or something. So like half the teams are able to play and another half of them can't or a big group of them can't or something like that. It could just mess up things on a week to week basis. Right. So you could be like in the middle of your season and then like you're like, let's say UVA doesn't have any symptomatic players. Everything's going fine, but they're about to play Miami and there's like a huge outbreak there and they can't play them because Miami, you know, they just can't play because they have too many COVID issues. I think this season and as far as the fairness of like some teams getting more practice time than others or like, you know, all of that stuff, I think that's the reality that we're going to have to live in um, for this year at least. It's just it's not going to be across the board fair as far as like what every team does, how every team has to prepare. Um, It's just, you know, that's kind of the – cost to play in a pandemic right i mean like your alternative is not playing at all you know if if you're that worried about fairness then just don't play right but i think that college sports are already unfair so i mean clemson and alabama they're not starting on the same playing field as umass (laughs) like you know it's not it's not across the board fair anyway so like i think that those little things will be fine. What I worry about is like big systemic problems that keep the season from being able to be completed, you know, in a, it, not in a fair way, but in a way that like works for, you know, crowning a conference champion or, you know, even sending teams to the playoff. I mean, that could kind of compromise the sport. But again, hopefully these problems are just temporary and eventually we can kind of get back to normal because, you know, there's nothing that says right now that football is like never going to be played again or anything like that. So, I mean, I think if, if we have – one season that's crazy. I mean, it'll be something to, you know, tell your grandkids about 30, 40 years from now um, or whatever. But, like, you know, at the end of the day, the sport will move on. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Today. Yeah. I mean, I think you. Go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, I mean, you know, there's macro concerns, right? Like, what, is a, what does a team do and everything else? But I think when you're, when you're talking college sports, like the, the individual, you know, the, the competitor, the athlete, to me, like, they're they're you know whatever they're going through is a little more important than nba guy right or or mlb guy who's getting paid millions so the the thing that i'm interested to see like i want to see how schools are going to deal deal with is so right now there's a recommendation but there's some schools that have rosters largely built from local players but for the most part college football now is a you know is a is a national game almost every team has players from across the country so the recommendation now is those players are going to need to come in two weeks before they can start to quarantine before they can be around their t- teammates. Um, so you've got that going on. And then the thing that, like, the one thing I hadn't really thought of until a couple of days ago was, let's say, you know, Joe Joe Smith on the team. We don't have a Joe Smith. Well, we have a JoJo. That's that's a JoJo White. Okay, we're safe. <laughs> you could have just said Joe Reed. <laughs> yeah. Let's say a player tests positive, right? Um, and has to go through treatment and and be quarantined, and he's in Virginia, but he's from California. Like, do you want? Can you imagine being a nineteen-year-old with COVID and being stuck in Virginia that far away from your family, having to be quarantined? Like, those things are. I think you're going to see stories like that during the year, and it may end up in some players saying, "Hey, I I got to go home," and then they go home. They got to come. Even if they get better and come back, they got to quarantine for a couple of weeks. So there's going to be some players who don't finish this year because of the illness not because you know not necessarily because of complications but just because of how much time they miss recovering from it um and that's going to be 
and that's going to affect some teams and, and it's going to happen. It's going to be a story. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are going to be players that get COVID during the season. It's yeah, unavoidable. And, yeah. And I don't think it's just going to be like, Oh, he's out for two weeks. Like it's going to be a process. You like people who get this, even when they yeah. make it, they're pretty sick. They're not going to be in football condition when they come out. Yeah, you think I, about I think Milano, if you, I mean, goes people miss months sometimes. Months, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think if somebody gets it, they're gone for the year. I think it's essentially yeah. a season ending situation. Which, which comes to, like, how do you handle this on a day-to-day basis once you're back on campus? So I think you're going to see, like, the idea of meeting as a team in a room is probably not going to happen. You're not going to have four quarterbacks in a room right next to each other and find out one of them had it and wasn't tested and just gave it to the other three. Right. Um, well, I think, and now I you think got no most, quarterback, right? Most schools are going to just test like crazy, right? And, I mean, that's one of those places where, you know, it, it is – Unfortunate, like to your point about you know Clemson and Alabama, like the t- the schools that have the money, they're going to test like crazy, right? Their their yeah. kids are going to get tested and get tested and get tested and get tested. Um, that's t- testing and tracing is the only way. I, I would imagine that basically what's going to happen is is that if you're a player, you're if you're out anywhere other than the indoor, right? You have a mask on, right, at all times, and. I would imagine the Broncos going to have essentially a zero tolerance policy. Like the guy who expects you to have rules when you do your Zoom call is definitely going to expect you to have a mask on when you go to Harris Teeter, right? Um, yeah. If you're, you know, you're the starting safety and and you you get benched for the rest of the season because you didn't wear your mask. I mean, and listen, I I don't want to make this political. Um, I I just think that this is a reality, right? Like the the data, whether you trust it or not, shows that if you wear your mask there's a very good chance you're going to be okay. That's not to say that masks are foolproof, right? I just think that that's going to be a a significant part of it is like what conditions does the coaching staff at each school put on and then what does each school do in terms of, of, um, you know, of, um, of, of testing and tracing. I, I think too, to your point about, you know, guys being in the room together, like the one fun thing about football is that like, it's mostly, you know, outside on a field, right? Like you can, you can take the indoor, set up a whole bunch of places for guys to do their meetings. Um, you know, it's a whole lot of TVs and whiteboards, but I mean, you could probably figure it out. And if there's a coach in America, who's probably sitting at home right now, trying to figure out how he can get, you know, all of his position groups in essentially meeting rooms outside, it's probably Bronco Mendenhall, although he probably already has a plan. Um, I would pay money to go talk to him about his plan right now. Like right I now, I know. I would money. literally just to be a fly on the wall, you know, just to be a fly well, on the wall. Also, I think, kind of I think you this. hit on something, Brad. I think teams that have more resources are probably going to do well with the logistics of it. Like more meeting spaces allows you to social distance better, right? What do you do if you're Duke? I mean, Duke has pretty good facilities, but you know, like ODU or something. And it's like, what, what do if you you're do? UVA and you have the McHugh? Like, right. I mean, UVA situation isn't that great, but at least like you said, they have an indoor facility and they have other decent enough facilities to use. But like some schools, I don't know what they would do. Like, you know, I, the option is basically just like wear a mask in the meeting room or something, I guess. But I think you'll see a lot of teams do the smart thing, which is just uh, not necessarily test players for COVID every day, because I don't know if you could do that. But like you could put you can make them take their temperature on the way in the building every day. Oh, yeah, like, that's sure. easy. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, people are there. Are places are up here like bars are doing that. So, I mean, I think UVA football could probably figure it out. So just little things like that, you know, to make sure that. You know, everything's happening. But then also, like, the the typical college experience in general 
involves a lot of time spent, you know, doing extracurricular stuff outside of football, <laughs> outside of school. Yeah, that's true. I would assume, um, I'm not trying to say like nobody should have fun, but like, I think at a certain point, like if you're playing football, like if you want to keep playing, I'm saying like if Bronco or whoever wants to keep playing, I think you have to kind of have like, I don't want to say a zero tolerance policy for that sort of stuff, but like you probably need to not allow it to happen very often or, or something. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you have to like set, cause normally like what if kids get in trouble for during the season, you know, like outside of football, it's like getting arrested, stuff like that. Right. Um, getting caught doing something you're not supposed to be doing. I think in this case, it could just be like basically violating social distancing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking about this earlier today. Like you, you got, you, you've got essentially, what a hundred kids that you're going to have to keep track of. Um, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing to kind of wrap your mind around because one and it's different because like these Premier League teams and like the NBA, it's like 12 guys, 13 guys. Right, exactly. And also and can, they're staying in the same place. Right. So you like can the Premier League guys, their they, go home, and everything's at, okay. they go home at the end of the day, but when they're away from the facility, they're in the, like, the same hotel, you know? What do you do when guys are living in University Heights apartments and on camp, you know, on grounds, or you know, somewhere else? Like, how do you keep track of all those different situations? Yeah, I mean, and I would imagine the testing, in in concert with you know whether it's um, taking your temperature, um, you know, guys have to be very good about reporting any you know um, symptoms and stuff. I think the other thing I was thinking about, and Dave, I'm, I'm gonna come back to you in a second. The other thing I was thinking about with this whole deal is like, so there's an off week. I mean, granted, you're not going to let guys, you know, go home. I mean, essentially, this is this 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 year is essentially like the outlier of all outliers, right? I was thinking about it in terms of like recruiting, right? Like, if you you official visits, like if you're a coach, do you want official visitors coming in, rooming, you know, or in 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 whether it's you know they 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 stay at a hotel but they've got a host who they spend a lot of time with. Like, what do you do with that? How, if you're going to have a kid come on an official visit, does he have to quarantine for two weeks before? Like, what's how could you even make it safe for your guys, right? Um, the entire, like, complexion of the situation is, is going to be different. Like, there's just no way around it. And whether they play every game or not, whether, you know, I mean, if Clemson wins a national championship and Trevor Lawrence is, you know, lost for most of the season because he got COVID-19, um, you know, I don't know what you do with the way we look at this season, but the reality is, is like nothing is going to be normal. Like they're probably going to be fanless venues, if not fanless, mostly fanless. To Dave's point earlier, like they're going to have to figure out some way to get some people in the door because they got to make some money off of it. Like I think that's just a real world situation. There's so much space in a college football stadium, um, you know, that they got to figure it out. What were you getting ready to say, Dave? I'm sorry I cut you off. No, that's fine. I mean, just, you know, when you start just thinking about, day-to-day activities like it's so easy and i think i'm even guilty of this thinking like i want to get football back and you can figure out how to do it but then you just think about like oh practice think about the average like practice day in the summer practice day in the fall you know the exposure these kids have like you can control them only so much right i know they've talked about home teams not staying in hotels the night before the game and all that stuff well why like that might actually be better (laughs) because at least you know like if anything you might need to take a dorm and make it your football dorm for this year and that's where they live that's and what i have together. been thinking about 
Honestly, yeah. that has been the thing I've been thinking about, which is basically you can't you can't put them in a, in a bubble in you know in Disney right the way the NBA is going to yeah. try to do, but you might be able to do is you can keep them all in the same place. Now the one downside of that is if one kid kid gets it and brings it back to the dorm, now you're yeah, talking about spreading it. it. But you know it's one of those things. It's like nobody can come in the dorm until they pla- you know pass the temperature check. Like you, you know somebody's going to have to be doing all the testing, doing all the temperature takes. You know. Yeah, I mean the temperature thing works, but you know if you've got a fever, you've got it. You know, you, you could have it already and we know you can spread it before the symptoms. So like, it's not, it's not foolproof. Right. And then you just start thinking about like just the mental health of the players because they're going to be more isolated and football is a hell of a demanding game. Right. Um, you go back and watch videos. Like you assume like if you get through fall, fall camp is bad on a good year. Right. Like it's, you see these guys, you've been like, when practices are open, you see how worn out those guys are. They've been watching film. They've worked out. They're on the field for a couple hours. And then they got more film review. They're exhausted by the end of fall camp. and But the camaraderie keeps them through, like, being close. But going through all that and not being able to, like, hug on your guys or, you know, be all close, like, that's going to be weird. And then when you start playing football, like, at the end of a game, you know, you go down b- behind the stadium, like, all the players' families are waiting for them. Like, you can't have that. Unless you know, you can't have families driving from wherever, you know, bringing them all and coming to hug on their sons after the game. Like it's just going to be a really weird season. Um, and I feel like, like, <laughs> I feel really bad for the players having to go through it. So there's a part of me, and the more I start thinking about it, I'm like, man, you know, like I, I really want to be at the games, but um, how selfish am I for thinking that? Right. I still want to be at the games. <laughs> well, I was going to say this too. I was thinking about this. L- listen, it's okay to be bored, right? Like if you're if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast and 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 we're we're we feel like we're dishing some doom and gloom because you just you could really really use football season come back. That's okay. Like I think that's one of the things that his that I've I've sort of learned through this whole thing, which is like just because you know so and so's um, situation was X and so-and-so's situation was Y. It doesn't mean that either of them are wrong. Like your experience, what you, what you're dealing with is, is like what you're feeling is okay. So like if you're a fan and you'd really just wanted football to come back, that's okay. I think that if you lose sight of the human component here, that's not okay. Um, it's okay to be bored. It's okay to want this to happen. It's okay to be worried that it might not happen. It's okay. If you don't even care if they, let you in the in the in the venue you just want to be able to watch it at home listen there are a lot of folks out there that are hurting for a variety of reasons they could really use the the distraction they could really use something to to occupy their mind um you know there are a lot of folks out there whether it's their jobs whether it's you know um this the state of the world and society there's a you know there's a whole lot of stress and i i don't think it's wrong um, for people to want this to happen. I think that you got to keep the human component in mind. So you can't just say something blanket like, well, they should just play because I want them to play. Well, you know what? There's a lot of people that have to work a game beyond just the players. Right. And like, I know kids are getting free educations and that's great, but we don't, we don't ask them to put themselves in any more harm's way than the harm's way they've already signed up for. Um, now, granted, you could, you could probably, you, you could probably talk to players and they'll tell you, Hey, you know what? I'm, you know, I want to play, you know, I, w- I want to be out there with my brothers. That's, that's the way they would tell you if they had a concussion too, you know, like you, there's some level of like protecting them from themselves. And that's kind of what this is in addition to protecting, not just their teammates, but all of the, the students of the university, the school has an obligation to protect its people, whether that is their students, whether that is their 
their personnel, whether that's their professors, you know, whoever that may be. So, look, it's okay if you're bored, and that's totally okay. It's okay if you want football to come back. Don't lose the human component. And I I don't – I try not to get on a soapbox too often, but, like, this is – I think this is worth it. Like, try your best to not give in to that, you know, like – make sure you keep the human component in mind. These are people. They're not robots. They are not, um, whether the system treats them that way or not, they're not property, right? And I do think that the, the Dave said, made a comment about this. I don't know if it was in a text or on the show, just a, about like essentially that Bronco and, and Carlin then weren't going to bring guys back until the guys felt comfortable to be back. Um, the fact that we haven't heard anything concrete tells me that the guys aren't ready for that yet. Like they still have questions. They're you know, they're still in that place. And I understand that a lot of fans are like, no, no, you need to hurry up and get back so you can get ready for the season because the season is important to them. And that's okay. Um, but you're losing sight of the human component if you do that. And I think that that is essentially the only mistake you can make. If you want football back? We all want football back. Trust me, I want football back. Right? Like, I don't care how, how far away from so-and-so and so-and-so I got to sit. I don't care if they don't let me come to the game. I, I want football back, but I want it to be safe when they do it. Um, Ferber, you got any last words for us before we, uh, we move on to things that, um, you're going to have lots of words about? No, I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, I think that, you know, it's, I don't want to be a downer, but I think it's a real possibility that, you know, everybody tries to make this work and it just doesn't work or it doesn't work the way that we hoped or whatever. If that happens, I think everybody, I mean, the players want to play, the coaches want to coach, Announcers want to announce. We want to cover the game. Everybody wants to do it. It's just, um, it's one of those things where you know, if you, if you, you know, you want to go like you said, you want to get back and, and go fast and get back into it, but you don't want to hurry either and and, and make things worse. Um, you know, nobody wants to. It's not just you know, nobody wants to get COVID nineteen, right? So I mean, like I think that. We, we need to make sure first that it's safe before anything else can be worried about as far as like how much time they have to prepare and how sloppy are the games going to be. It's going to be a problem across the sport. I mean, everybody's dealing with this together. So it's not like just a UVA problem or something like that. But I think I'm optimistic that some will have football in some way. I, I don't know what it'll look like exactly, but um, that really depends on like everybody kind of trying to minimize the risk. So let's um, let's transition to uh, to your series. So we released the first uh, installment of Film Room on Monday. Um, probably, I'd probably know more about UVA's tight end concepts because of you than I literally would have ever known. Like I don't think I ever would have really dug into that specific aspect of it. Um, now, in addition to just the amount of work that Ferber has done on this, I'm fascinated not just in terms of talking about it now, but just in terms of like going forward, how much you really have picked up. How many, t- take us through sort of your, I don't know, m- methodology as you try to tackle this thing and watch the games and chart everything. Did you did you set out to basically break down every single play? How did you decide what got, what got noted and what just, you know, didn't? What, what, was your, what was your process in doing all this, dude? Yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal was to evaluate the 2020 roster, right? So, like, look at players that are going to return. So I spent a lot of time looking at guys like Terrell Janna and Noah Taylor and guys like that. Um, not so focused on guys like Joe Reed, Hasis Dubois, who are no longer there, right? I mean, I, I do have some stuff highlighted for Perkins specifically, and we'll get there eventually. But um, 
what I kind of like as I went along, I got more into the scheme part of it as well, and was like, you know what, I should start to kind of like batch these things together. Um, like if if I like a certain kind of play or a look or a concept of some kind, like try to find a way to like package that all together and then see if there's some interesting like thread that you can find between all of them or some some way where there it would apply forward to the 2020 season. So, I mean, I, I went back, I watched every snap. Some snaps I had to watch three or four times. Some snaps I just moved on to the next one, right? Um, you know, there's 11 guys on the field. There's 11 different things going on. Uh, there are some plays where it was, like, pretty obvious, like, what I should be paying attention to. You know, like, if it's a throw to Billy Kemp, I, I could go back and rewatch the route and see what he was doing, um, see if it's part of some larger concept, like pre-snap motion, stuff like that. Um and that helped me kind of like categorize a lot of stuff. So, I mean, it did really help. I learned a lot doing it. Um, I have a ton of stuff highlighted for future use. Um, it gave me more, it kind of reinforced a lot of things I thought I knew. And then it, I, I definitely learned some new stuff as well. So it was definitely like a cool exercise when we have nothing else going on right now. When you were kind of trying to figure out what, once you, once you, how many, how many plays did you say you charted again? What is the, or the numbers? It's like the, the total number is like 430 something. Um, but that doesn't count the transfers. So it's probably closer to like 530. Um, now, I mean, there's plenty of other plays that I just threw away, like a one yard run to Talapapa where nothing happened. Right. I mean, there's not a whole lot to gain from that. Um, <laughs> you know, Talapapa, unless somebody missed you, the block, or it, was, it was at least a yard to gain for that. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, there are things that you can pick up off of that play, but normally it's like there's a lot of stuff you just throw away. You know, like a lot of throws from Perkins to Dubois where nothing really interesting happened. It was just a nice play. Like, we don't really need to talk about those because those players are gone. You know, we're on to the next thing. So um, of those plays, I probably plan to use, like, in the hundreds. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's ways you can narrow it down. Like, for that tight end thing that we ran on Monday – I probably I think Tanner Cowley had like twenty something catches I forget how many it was, um, and then thirty area somewhere around thirty. Um, I didn't sh- you know use all of those for the thing because you know one of that one of those plays that I I talked about I might have used two examples but there might have been six like I don't right, need to shoot right, right, six right. different versions of the same thing but right. at least like highlighting them allows me to go back and kind of like pick up what happened right and like okay. It seems like there's a million comeback routes to Terrell Janna. Maybe there's something to that. Or it seems like, uh, you know, Tavares Kelly's best plays are when he's just doing this before the snap or whatever. Like, so you can kind of try to figure out, like, how a player's being used and then what skills they have. So, like, the quarterback thing that I worked on this week, I was focused specifically on, like, what traits they have, what things they do well, what things they need to work on, uh, what are the best aspects of their game, how do the two quarterbacks compare to each other. And, you know, so you can look at a lot of different stuff to do that. But some of the things are more narrowly focused. My, my thing is, as somebody who is, you know, putting, you know, taking, taking your thing and playing, putting it on the Internet. Like if you had if you had taken like six of those plays that were basically the same play and like sliced them together, like that thing would have actually broken rivals. Like, I'm not kidding. Like that thing really would have what you I think what you <laughs> one of the things I really enjoyed most about it, though, is that like you do a good job of making it. Um, accessible, right? So, like, if you're just a person who likes football and you're not like Dave, who, you know, could, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm guessing that Dave could, like, do his own series, you know, if he didn't have, you know, 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's no other way for me to really write it because I don't have that technical background, right? But I think like, that actually really works in your favor, though, because as you're breaking it down, you can sort of... Um, like, I can't call all the route concepts what right, they would be called, right, you right. know, because I don't know what they're called. Right, right. I, I think that actually really works in your favor. The other thing I really I really enjoyed about the Cowley piece uh, specifically was the way it the, the way it sort of, in a way, seemed to, I don't know, um, exonerate Dr. Bob. Um, you know, po- folks been giving Anai a whole lot of crap for a couple years now. And it's, it, it, it seemed like at the end, part of your findings essentially was that like, Hey man, they, they've, they got actually got a pretty decent, um, look here and the way it's kind of stacks on top of each other actually gives it a lot of, um, functionality. What yeah. when you what I'd like to do is we go forward because these things are going to roll out you know one or two a week, maybe on the pod you know giving you a chance to kind of take take uh, take a minute to just sort of talk about maybe what your takeaways were from what you did. So for this week specifically on the Cowley piece, what was your you know, like kind of big you know big idea takeaway from having you know charted all that stuff and broken it all down? I think the biggest takeaway that I can have from that, and I hope it came through in the writing, is that almost all of those plays were designed, right? So, like, a lot of the plays to Billy Kemp or Hatsis Dubois were not necessarily designed to go to them. You know, they might have been the primary read, um, and they got open, so the throw was made. So, I mean, like, that that's fine, but that's not what a lot of these Cowley plays were, from what I can tell. They were, you know, those plays where he was getting those little passes in the flat, um, there were a bunch of them that we highlighted, a lot of those, like if you look at what the receivers are doing, they're already blocking. Like they know that he's getting the ball. Um, UVA does, and this is why splicing them together wouldn't work that well. UVA runs, they can run like the same play out of like 10 different formations. And I think that while I think there are certainly issues with the offense as far as like explosiveness, I think that's the biggest thing that they're lacking. Um, and you could really see that in the first half of the season if you go back and look. Like, there just weren't very many big plays. Um, they they did really well moving the ball three, four yards at a time, but eventually you're just not going to be able to do that all the way down. Um, these Cowley plays were almost, I would say, like a change-up, where it was like, you know, they 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 run a lot of design runs to Perkins and then runs with, with Talapapa and different things like that. A lot of those plays have pre-snap motion. A lot of those plays have, like, fake handoffs to Talapapa if Perkins is keeping it different things like that. So these tight end plays have the same sorts of things, but instead of doing that, he just like throws a seam route or uh, Callie goes out into the flats after pretending to block and has blocking in place from the receivers, right? So like the receivers aren't just running routes and then blocking, like they are blocking. Um, You know, they go five, 10 yards downfield and block. Um, That first, I know the very first example we did was a seam throw against ODU. like Joe Reed clears the defender out of the area so that Cowley has extra room. So they were making an effort to get the tight end involved, right? And I know that they didn't use Cowley necessarily like a lot of teams use the tight end, um, you know, 60, 70 times a year or whatever. Um, But I think that they tried to maximize what they could get out of him because he played a bunch of different spots. He played in the slot. He played on the line. They lined him up in the backfield a ton. So, I mean, you could kind of see the methodology of what they're trying to do, and you, you don't really realize how much goes into, like, a three-yard pass until you go in and look at it. But if you look, I mean, he had, like, 11 yards per catch. 
So they were pretty successful when they used those plays, but I do believe if they had like doubled the usage of those plays, eventually the defenses would catch on. Um, I didn't see a lot of plays where like they got busted by the defense. Um, but I think the more, if you try to lean on it too much, you could overdo it and then they could eventually kind of close in. I mean, you saw that if you want a different example, like in the tech game, Bryce Perkins had those two long touchdown runs and then UVA kind of tried to keep him going that way. Tech just adjusted to it and and they were just like, Hey, we're going to have to put more eyes on him, worry less about the other stuff, try to disrupt his passing timing. And they were able to do that effectively for like two quarters. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, if, if you try to use anything too much, eventually the team is going to focus on it. Keaton Thompson, same thing, like in his bowl game, which we will show on Friday in Friday's piece. Um, first half, he dominated. The second half, Louisville completely adjusted their defense to basically account for what he was doing, and they had to adjust back. So um, you kind of see those little, like, chess match sort of things with the tight end, um, and, and there's going to be a lot more stuff like that coming for sure. Dave, uh, you're my my resident football nerd. Um, I, I would also like to throw it back to you and and tell just ask you know what kind of things you took away from it, what kind of things you learned, what kind of things were you you thought were super insightful. I mean, uh, my data usage went up way a lot in the past <laughs> few weeks. Ferber sent me gif after gift and like look at this, look at that. But now, it, I mean, I think if there's Ferber and I are kind of nerds about that stuff anyway. He's probably a bigger nerd than me. Um, if there was one good thing that came out of COVID, it was Ferber having time to do this. Because um, you probably <laughs> wouldn't get something this deep normally. Uh, I haven't done yeah. anything like this since they hired the coaches and we looked at like the the scheme from BYU. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, the more you dive into plays when you start breaking them down like that and take the time to go back and watch they always tell people like I, I try not to ha- have a podcast during the season without rewatching the game because you, when you don't know, like emotions get in the cloud, you know, cloud what you see. Um, well, what I notice is like I just watch what's happening with the football. Yeah, exactly. And then when I did this, see. I didn't do that because I was like, I don't really care what Bryce Perkins is doing. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, on the tight ends piece specifically, like Justin was saying, like you know, it's so much to maybe throw a three yard pass, but you see that it's just a, you know a three yard pass, but that alignment, that motion, they can play off later and do something different because now, now when that, when the other team, the other teams are smart, right? Like they're, they've got, they're playing, paying guys millions of dollars to figure out how to stop you. Um, so if you show a look and you do one, you can't continue to do the same thing out of it unless you just have elite athletes who can't be stopped. Um, we're not at that place. So you've got to outsmart guys. So, you know, you, you sometimes you take a three yard pass and you you do this and you do that. A lot of, a lot of what you do with see with see done with the tight ends are counters to stuff you do normally, and it may work because of what you do normally, getting their attention. But doing that also helps what you do normally work better because they now they can't react to it as fast. So it's just football's a lot more complex than just like I wish they just throw it deep more. Like I mean, I hope that's what people who don't understand the game very much but do take the time to read this piece and look into it we'll see like there's a lot of, i don't want to use the chess and checkers analogy because i think virginia fans are <laughs> i had enough of that during the grow days but it is like it's it could be a very complicated beautiful game if you want to spend the time to look at what they're doing yeah there's definitely stuff like that where i'm like um 
And I saw with other teams too, like, you know, I'm watching the defense and I'm like, oh, wow, they really set that play up well. Like, you know, like they came back to it later or whatever. Um, You see a lot of that, like you said it perfectly, like the Cali stuff is really like a counter to other things, right? So you set it up by running quarterback power, quarterback draw. And then like that touchdown he threw to him against North Carolina Perkins, it's like they completely set that up because they ran so many quarterback draws in that game that like he took one step towards the line of scrimmage and everybody jumps up towards the ball. And I think that's one of the things I took away from the tight end piece specifically was like the, the power of Perkins, (laughs) like, um, you know, like he got so much attention that if you ran anything else, everybody was like a step slow to it um besides uva's running like uh with the running back which was abysmal throughout the season um and we'll have more on that later (laughs) um but that that was one area where i was like waiting to be impressed and it just never really happened um but i I mean go ahead go ahead i was gonna ask you like you like obviously i watched i looked at some of it with you but i didn't look at 10 percent of what you did um I'm curious, like with the tight end, some of the tight end concepts are pretty good. Like, you know, yeah, really good. I, if the offensive line was better, would there have been more tight end involvement? Because Cali blocked a lot because he yeah. had to, right? He blocked, I think his block usage was like 50%. Yeah. So which is a lot got, considering they threw the ball like 70% of the time or something. Yeah. It felt like, I mean, it wasn't that much, but it was a lot. So, especially like early in the season when the offense was struggling. You know, it's the offensive line was struggling too. So, Cali was probably if you break it down by part of the year, I'm guessing Cali's block percentage was higher in that that little lull they had at the beginning yeah, of the year versus it was. In that- and one of the things I did at the end of the piece, um, obviously not something I did when I reviewed the games, but I kind of was like, all right, so what did they do the year before? So Evan Butts was more of a receiver. So I mean, just like that's just his type of player. Um, so, but you have to remember, Cali played a lot in tandem with him like he got yeah. a lot of burn he just didn't get a lot of targets so when Callie was in there he would block and Evan Butts would line up more like he would just go out on routes more and wasn't as much of a blocker so I think yeah I think if if they didn't need him or had another tight end to do it then maybe he is used differently more in the slot but you also have to remember like UVA had so many other pass catchers like it's easy for anyone. The fact that he had like 30 catches or whatever it was is pretty remarkable considering like, um, I don't know if Brad, Brad, do you know how many catches Terrell Jana had last year? Uh, I do not, but I can look it up. Uh, Oh, do you know off the top of your head? (laughs) Yeah, I do. It's like, uh, well, he was up there. It was like 70 something. 74. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And and he was like the third leading receiver. I mean, I don't know if he didn't finish third in catches, but like he was like the third option. That's what I mean. Like, there's so many guys. And then you have, like, guys like Billy Kemp. I think he had, like, 20-something catches. Tavares Kelly. Um, and then other guys would pop here and there. Terrell Chapman, whoever. Um, yeah, so I think part of it is just getting lost in the shuffle. Um, but, yeah, he was used as a blocker a lot, which set up some of those plays, which were basically, like, screens, where he would come in, look like he was blocking, and then just drift, you know, out into the flat. Because what happens is the defense, like, they just forget about you if they see you as a blocker. Like they're looking at other things, and so, like I said, since Perkins gets so much attention, it's people are looking in the backfield, and they don't realize the tight end is just kind of drifted by them, and then he's open, you know, he's just in space. Um, you see a lot of creative stuff with the receivers too, and we'll, you know, we'll obviously have a piece on that as well. Um, they do a lot of stuff with pre-snap motion that really helps open things up. Um, 
like they'll run a running back out of the backfield like super wide and somebody has to go with him which sometimes will end up getting a linebacker on a receiver in the slot or like that touchdown on like the like the over the shoulder catch that Reed had in the end zone against Florida State was completely set up by motion getting a linebacker on him and basically just him having him run by the guy because at the snap Perkins knew he was throwing it to him because he saw who he was on and was like yeah he's gonna get by so I'll just throw it up there um and it makes it so his his job became easier as a quarterback like you see a receiver drift like if you run trips you see the receiver drift into the middle and then just angle into the you know towards him and and stop if you look at the defense and you see like the guy in the middle of the defense, like the defensive back alignment is deep, he's not making that play. So like you, all you have to do is stop and throw, stop and throw. I, I looked at a lot of Brennan Armstrong stuff the last couple of days. Almost every single throw he made was just look pre-snap identification, make the throw. Pre-snap identification, make the throw. Like there's not a whole the, the way that they do it makes it easier for the players and. Um, while I think that they need to find a way to push the ball down the field more, and part of that is blocking, um, I think that the short and intermediate stuff works because it's just while the defenses know what they're doing, it's hard. The coach isn't out there with them, so like if UVA will run out and like that, this is why I think they go slow and why they change personnel so much because. You know, like the coaches can't go out there and be like, hey, like th- this could be the same play as before from different formation or something. And th- they'll line up one way and then move a bunch of guys before the snap. And the defensive players just aren't reacting at the same. Like I can see it when I'm watching the games. Like you're like, oh, that guy didn't get over quick enough or he didn't realize what they were doing until it was too late. So there's a lot of that. But and I think a lot of teams play just bend but don't break because of that, because they know like, hey, we're going to miss assignments underneath. Um but it's interesting. I mean, it, there's just so much that goes into it, and it's a pretty well-designed offense and, and a one that makes it easy on the quarterback, I think. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, there, there's still obviously room that they can improve, and obviously they're breaking in a new quarterback. So it just depends a lot on what their skill set's going to be, I think. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to what comes next. Um and I'm and I'm hopeful that uh, the folks are out there are gonna are enjoying it so far, and we'll definitely be enjoying it soon. Um, I think that's a good place to uh, put in a um, put put a pin in it for this week. Um, unless you guys have anything, I guess I should open it up for the good of the order. Um, all right, there you go. If you are somebody out there yeah. who found the podcast in the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. And if you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that podcasts exist, we are there. And if we're not, let me know. Uh, if you're somebody who's found the pod, has not given us a look yet at the website, check us out, capscorner.com. So, yeah, so there's a, there's a film room feature if you've listened to this whole show. Uh, yeah, you need to check that out. Um, so that link will be in the show notes as well as the um, 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 – on the website if you are somebody who likes basketball recruiting this week was a big big deal uh virginia probably put more feelers out on monday at the start of the contact period for 2022 than i've ever seen them do now i don't know if that's a function of timing with the um dead period because of coronavirus and there's no au there's no you know no uh spring summer it looks like um travel ball um so yeah we we got a it's not a comprehensive list. I mean, that thing's huge, but we, we tried to knock down as many as we could figure out. Um, let's see. I talked to three-star offensive lineman Marcus Mabeau, um earlier in the week to talk about his recruitment. 
I also talked to three-star wide receiver Malachi Bennett to talk about his. So you can check out both of those. Um, I caught up last week since we've recorded the podcast with um, California's tight end uh, Christian Peterson. So check that out as well. Um, and then let's see, coming up, I've got, I talked to Ethan Mort, who was a three-star offensive lineman from uh, Venice, Florida. Um, <laughs> a really interesting dude uh, who had a lot of great things to say about Garrett Tuje. Uh, and then obviously we've got more of um, Ferber's stuff coming too. So keep it locked to Cavs Corner. Uh, I want to thank Dave and Ferber for being graciously of their time as always. And I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I very much appreciate it. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.